You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and I'm delighted to welcome back to the show the brilliant Mike Stavrou. How are you doing, mate? Still on cloud nine? Yeah, you can see I've got a smile on my face, Harry. Um, Drinking the tears of Spurs fans at the moment. (laughs) Love that. Love that. Me too. Tastes good, mate. Tastes good. Exactly. It does indeed. (laughs) Um, We'll get your thoughts on the North London derby, Mike, because obviously it was a huge game. Uh, hugely positive performance from Arsenal. Lots to be pleased about. Lots to take kind of encouragement from moving forward. But there's been some news today um, with regards to Granit Xhaka, who obviously picked up an injury uh, during that fixture. It was really unlucky, I've got to say, the way the injury come about. And with somebody like Granit Xhaka, you feel like that was the only way he was going to get injured because he is normally uh, so well conditioned and so good at staying fit. Unfortunately, he took a bit of a knock and it seems like this knee injury that he's picked up, according to reports, is going to keep him out now for six to eight weeks. Now, of course, the international break is just around the corner. So that you can kind of take one week out of that in terms of the weeks that we'll be missing him for. But how much of a blow is this to Arsenal at a point where they were really starting to click to now lose a player who divides opinion amongst the fan base, but is clearly Mm. a key member of Mikel Arteta's squad? So I think it's a blow, but also I'm sort of sat here a little bit relieved because when you see a player go down like that, you're starting to think, oh my God, he's done his ACL. And just the way that it looked, it was so horrific. And as you say, someone like Xhaka, it takes a lot for him to go down. Like he's a quite a sturdy bloke. Um, so I was initially worried. And with ACL, it can be anything for like, uh, as someone who's done it themselves, can be what, six months and nine months to 12 months and some players have been out for 18 months. Some players never actually come back the same. So in a way, it is a huge blow. But in, if you're looking at it from this perspective, we're lucky it's not longer. Six to eight weeks, that will get him back comfortably um, in time for before the African Cup of Nations starts. Because I think that was my biggest concern. If you look at the sort of midfield we have going into the season, you've got Xhaka Party, Lukonga, um, Elneny, and and Maitland-Niles and obviously and Party as well and obviously the African Cup of Nation would rule out Party and Elneny which leaves you extremely light in midfield if if you took them two out you're only looking at the Conga Maitland-Niles and Xhaka and if Xhaka did get injured it would have been disastrous like we would have gone through January which is a really tough tough time of the year without no with two like inexperienced uh youngsters essentially Um, which would have been trouble. But I think the way it's worked, it will affect us. Um, But luckily, I think the fixture schedule in within this time frame is sort of kind to us. So we should be able to get through it. I've I've got a lot of faith in the likes of Lukonga to to step up. And I I actually thought he should have played in North London Derby. Uh, I actually backed him to play. But I think we should we should be able to cope. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think when you look at the upcoming fixtures, obviously, we've got that trip to Brighton. At the weekend, it's a game that I thought Granit Xhaka would definitely play in if he was fit. But then beyond that, there's a couple of home games against Crystal Palace and Aston Villa. There's the Carabao Cup tie 
with Leeds United. Then we go away to Leicester, another game that I feel like Mikel may have gone for that more slightly conservative midfield with the double pivot. Then Liverpool are just around the corner after the uh, the visit of Watford. So I think, yeah, you're right. I think we, we might get Granit Xhaka back just at the right time. But I guess for me, you know, people have, have always sort of been critical of Xhaka and and I I mentioned it on the podcast yesterday. I was I was told by, you know, some friends in the stadium before kickoff that Mikel Arteta was risking his job by picking him. And actually I thought he delivered a really solid performance at the weekend. And and for me, it's it's one of those things, Mike, where we've got to stop comparing him to midfield players that we don't have. And we've got to look at the situation at Arsenal Football Club. And is he better than most of our options? And the answer for me is yes. Can he be trusted more than most of those alternatives? I think the answer is yes. And so whatever way you look at this, whether you think mm. it, you know, we're lucky that it was just for uh, six to eight weeks or, or whether you think that actually it might be a bit of a blessing in disguise. I think it's impossible to deny that he does have a significant role in this group, in this squad and in Mikel Arteta's eyes, perhaps most importantly. Um, moving on to another bit of news uh, that I wanted to get your thoughts on before we do, uh, you know, reflect a little bit more on that North London derby, which we're going to be kind of dining out on now, aren't we? At least for <laughs> yeah, the rest absolutely. of the week. Uh, Thierry Henry was on Sky Sports' Monday Night Football last night. And of course, Thierry Henry was, uh, was caught on camera in the stadium on Sunday, celebrating the goals, wearing a fantastic retro shirt, by the way, but alongside Daniel Ek, who is uh, credited with a strong interest in purchasing the club, who, according to reports, has had two offers rebuffed by the Cronkies. Thierry Henry had this to say when he was asked about whether or not anything has happened, anything is moving, or if Daniel Ek is indeed still interested. He confirmed that there is no dialogue at the moment, but he did say on more than one occasion, we are here to stay, recognising that if this is going to happen, this is something that's going to take a long, long time to get over the line. It felt to me like we've kind of got past this Daniel Ek takeover talk and I kind mm. of shifted my focus away from the ownership and onto the team as soon as the football actually started this, you know, earlier this year. And I don't really want to get dragged back into that whole, is he going to take over? Is he not going to take over stuff? Where are you on it? Is it an unwelcome distraction at this point? I think it is because, listen, look, football works in cycles and at the end of the day, when it's going okay no one looks at the owners and they don't say, you know, our owner's apathetic. They don't say all these things that, that they talk about with the Cronkies. They don't have an interest in all of this stuff because plainly, if the team's doing well, you, you're not really bothered. I think when it started to come to a head a little bit was when we lost three in a row, people were saying, you know, we're going to start the Cronky process and Mikel Arteta out, bored out. It's just this sort of thing with fans that they're, they're quick to jump on things. And I, I know I'm not discrediting you know, what fans feel about the Cronkies because I know that having an owner that doesn't look on the optics particularly interested is not a good thing for a football club. You want someone who's invested, who who cares, who shows up. Like, I don't, I, I didn't see any sign of Josh or Stan at, at North London Derby, biggest game of the season. I think, you know, talking from a fan's perspective, you'd like to see them there. You'd like to see them supporting the team. So, I think it does go around in cycles and I'm sure the next time when we go for a bad patch, those calls to get the Cronkies out will will come back. But for the moment, I think let's just concentrate on the team. I mean, look, this from Henri, I think 
could just be a gentle reminder to, to the Cronkies that, look, we're not going anywhere. We're still here. This little consortium, we want to obviously buy the club. They made that X, made that public. Um, not sure what's actually happened with the bids. X said something, but but the Cronkies have come out with statements. We don't really know the ins and outs of it, but it sounds like there's been two bids and both knocks back. So it's going to take a huge offer, uh, which at the moment doesn't look like Eck is is ready to stump up. So it's going to be a, a non-mover for a time being. So you're right. Essentially, what is the point in bringing it back up now when it's not going to happen for a long time if it does happen at all and it could be a distraction yeah completely agree it, it just feels like you know i think you hit the nail on the head there when you said nobody really gives a shit about who's in charge of the club or who owns the club when the team are performing and when we as fans feel engaged and connected with that team and i tell you what that that game on on sunday and i know you were there as well mike mm. um which leads me nicely on into that was the first time in a long time I felt completely engaged with the team. Like I was rooting for for every like I was I'm always rooting for the players, of course, but it felt like I was connected. Like I felt every moment of that performance. I felt every every kick, every shot, every tackle. Even when, you know, we were three one up, I felt nervous because I was so yeah. kind of sucked into the game. And it's been a while since we as fans have had a performance like that to shout about. Yes, there have been some positive results in recent weeks, but we've never gone, uh, you know, to that level, I, I don't think, anyway, this season under Mikel Arteta, whereby we've been completely convincing. Uh, you know, everything that we've tried has, has come off. Every sort of training ground routine in terms of playing out from the back that Mikel would have been working on in recent weeks almost came to the fore and, and it just all worked like clockwork. First of all, your thoughts on the performance and, and the positives to take away from it? Well, mate, it was just a, such a good day. I mean, all in all, like, great experience. My first North London derby in a while. And I agree with you, the atmosphere was the best that I've experienced in a long, long time. I mean, you know, fans standing up throughout the whole game, singing throughout the whole game. I've had um, Tottenham get battered everywhere they go in my head for the last <laughs> two days consecutively. I've even been singing it at breakfast, mate, honestly. It's just can you, can you give us, etched into my mind. Can you give us a rendition? Because I, I keep getting the tune muddled up. So I know the words. Okay, yeah, I know what you mean. But so go, it goes, Tottenham get battered everywhere they go. Tottenham get battered everywhere they go. Everywhere they go. There you go. Should we sing this the rest of the show? Come on. Might as well. Tottenham 20 get battered everywhere they go. Tottenham. Nah, I, was got, I, I wish I could do that. But unfortunately, I don't think people want to hear my voice that long. But no, it's just like, it was just so good, mate. Everyone was together. Everyone was, as you say, connected. And I think what we gave to the to the players, the players gave back to us. I and I usually sort of think, oh, the twelfth man, like, is it, you know, is it real? It does it. How much of an impact does it make? But you could see, like, they were responding to us, like they actually were. And like, it, I was because I was in the in the clock end. I was watching Ramsdale in the first half, and every save. He made. He, he's no. There, there was a fist bump. There was a. There was little looks to the crowd. You know. There was even sometimes in second half as, as well. Like Gabrielle was like, you know, telling the fans to get up and you know sing. And it was you really could see it. And even like what things we spoke about before the game, like in terms of character, like Ramsdale is the sort of character we want. He he, he already like three four games in. He it looks like he bleeds Arsenal. Like he is already looking like an Arsenal man. And that's 
quite weird to say, but it's such an important position for that because you see the entire game and the fact that, you know, every after every tackle that like, he was going up to Tommy Asu and patting him on the back and Xhaka was getting involved and they did actually look like a team for and, and a long, long time. And obviously that fed into the performance because I think maybe, well, I think I hope that the players know and I think you can see they know what they're doing under Arteta, but it's whether they've had the confidence uh, to to basically pull it off. And I think we saw um, on Sunday that they had the confidence and everything worked. You know, the flicks around the corners, the one touch of what Aubameyang was was one of the best, if not the best player on the pitch. Just all the criticisms we've had of him, Harry, we've spoken about this a lot, a long time. He's, you know, touch, he's, he's hold up play, he's, you know, ability to link up play. It was all working. Like, it just happened. It, it all just clicked for him and he had an amazing game and it was just a, a great day and I just hope it continues, mate. Yeah, for sure. And and I guess, you know, one of the questions I've been asked a lot, I, I've done sort of various radio shows and, and stuff since the North London derby and one of the questions I always get asked is, have Arsenal turned the corner? And And looking at what we saw at the weekend, I think it's easy to get carried away and say, yes, we have. Um, because that level of performance was just so much higher than anything we've seen in the last six months. But I, I can't say hand on heart that we've turned the corner, but what it did do for me, and I don't know about you, Mike, was dispelled the myth that this team don't want to play for Mikel Arteta, that this team don't believe in what it is that he's trying to do, and that there is a big disconnect between the playing staff and, and him and his coaching staff. Did, did you get that feeling as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just the fact that it was all instinctive. Like they sort of knew exactly what they had to do um, when players were were making a run like inwards. Like Abamyang was coming short, the players were running off him. They knew what they were doing, and that they they believed in it. And I think after a win like that, when you saw the reactions as well at the halftime, at the full time whistle, and Arteta just going absolutely mental, you could tell that was a sign of relief, but also a sign of this is what this is it basically. This is what I want from my team, but. It's an, it's an important point to make and what, what you've been asked about. But one thing I just want to mention is that I think a lot of the discourse over the last few days has been so frustrating because, yeah, Spurs were terrible. We know that. They vacated the midfield. They allowed us to play. Yeah, that's fine. But we were also great. Like I think people are not talking about this enough. We played our, our game plan to a T. We, we, you know, did everything that we could to, to win that game. I thought the fluid movement, uh, Thomas Party was amazing in the midfield everything was syncing up and I think by saying Spurs were awful this is the worst Spurs team blah 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 it discredits us a little bit and I know we were up for it and it looked like they weren't but like do, do you know what I mean just give us a bit more more credit for it essentially yeah I, I've got to say so obviously I was at the game too and and what I normally do when a game is televised I, I normally record it and then when I come home I might not watch the 90 minutes again straight away I always watch it the next day for the tactical analysis that we do here on the channel when we put the Spurs one out earlier on today so uh, if you haven't checked that out it is the last episode in the feed please do uh, also yesterday let me give it a quick plug while I remember uh, Jeremy Aliadier joined me to discuss the North London derby a number of individual performances and the wider situation at Arsenal so please check that one out too but what I normally do is I normally come home and this is kind of my ritual I come home and then I watch the post-match analysis and then I'll watch match of the day later and watch the highlights and then probably the next morning I'll watch the whole game again. But I just felt like, like you said, it was so focused on Tottenham 
and all the bad things that they did, that it did get lost, that Arsenal were, were a very good side and it did get lost that everything that Mikel Arteta implemented worked to a T. And that is frustrating because it feels like when the shoe's on the other foot, when Arsenal are performing badly, it's those very same people that want to jump on Arsenal and that want to overblow the shortcomings and turn it into a big, big story. So I completely get where you're coming from there. Yeah, so we can never win, can we, essentially? Yeah, exactly. And exactly. it's, it's, it, it's so frustrating because it, it feels like... I don't want to start saying this this person, this person has an anti-Arsenal agenda, but it very much does feel like that when you focus so but you go so big on on the negatives and then when we do actually when you're like oh actually the team you played were rubbish well i'm sorry but yeah they might not be in in the best vein of form but these are still you know top class players harry kane world class player yeah he's not in great form human song showed his, his quality he was one of the better players like they are top players and yeah they're not playing to the best of their ability but i just feel like to to sort of minimize what what we've done and what you know, we've been building towards the last few weeks, um, you know, playing slightly new system and and uh, with the new signings. I feel like it's just completely discrediting us. And it's just frustrating because you, you want to enjoy it, but all you're getting is people saying to you, oh, well, you know, Spurs are rubbish. And yeah, that's, that's it. That's the only thing I've heard. But I'm not going to let it bother me too much because it is what it is. You know, we are Arsenal. We're such a big club. This is going to happen, isn't it? We're, we're going to get nitpicked all the time. So you have to accept that. But it's annoying. We have to try and channel it and use it in a positive way. And I think during the height of the Wenger days, when we were really at the top of our game, I think there was that Arsenal against the world feeling in and amongst our club. I think you felt as a fan, like everything we did was criticised when we were good. We got some credit, but maybe not as much as Manchester United under Fergie would have got. And I always felt that way growing up. So it's kind of a bit of a throwback to that. Although this time we're not yeah. so good to kind of just let it all run off of our backs. But do you feel like nowadays in, in 2021, like the role of a pundit has, has almost changed and the kind of desire from onlookers for outrage at every single opportunity is driving the way some of these people are, are looking at games and analysing games because they want to make sound bites. They want to get clicks. They want to you know, produce that little one minute moment, one minute rant that's going to go viral on social media. Yeah. Do you think that the kind of appetite for it being so high has caused some people who were better pundits, I would say previously, mm. now moving into a space where they feel they need to be overreactionary? Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. And when, when you ask me like what I want from a pundit, a pundit is someone who's played the game and I don't want a pundit to tell me what I could have heard from my mates. I want a pundit to tell me what you've learned from the game and how that applies to the situation of the game that you've just watched. Give me some sort of, you know, insight as to, to what, what, what a defender sees when he's in that position, when a striker's coming the other way, what do you do? That's what I want to hear from a pundit because I think that's the reason they're there. They're the, the ex pro. They're the, you know, the, they're the person who who has all this insight and it's not being transmitted. And as you say, it's very easy to go fire and fury and say, this person's rubbish. This person is not very good. It's and a disgrace. Arsenal, oh, it's a disgrace. Well, tell me why. If, if you break down and actually give me the, the reasons rather than just going rah, 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 this person's crap, tell me how they can do it better and tell me where they went wrong. Use your, you know, expertise and you know explain that to me basically as a as as a fan that's that's all you want and 
I think again, it just it just really diminishes the the value of watching this sort of stuff. And to be honest, I you said you watch like all the pundit analysis. I barely watch it now. You know who I I, I like listening to Adrian Clark because I feel like he gives a very reasoned you know tactical insight, which is I actually learn from. And yeah, he yeah. didn't play you know for Arsenal for years and years, but he's honed his his sort of expertise and he, he's a student of the game. Um, which which is what we are like as journalists as broadcasters we we love football we analyze it and the reason that we do so much research is so that we can speak with some sort of knowledge and so people can learn something when they hopefully learn something when when they hear from us but and, and when you go on TV sometimes all you get is 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 your mate from the pub analysis yeah. and that's 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 not what you want completely agree completely agree as you say that my when I watch analysis, I want to learn something. I want to take a point away with me that I didn't come up with by myself. Or or if I yeah. did come up with it by myself, I want a little bit more context around it. I want a little bit more sort of flesh on the bones of it all. And there's a few people in the chat mentioning uh, certain pundits. Like, we won't go into any names because we'll probably get in trouble. <laughs> uh, I nearly got myself in trouble the other day. Uh, but... Um, yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. Uh, let's uh, let's take some of your questions for the last sort of uh, eight, nine minutes of the show. While you guys get your questions in, please do hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel if you're new. Make sure you give Mike a follow on Twitter as well. You'll be able to see his handle on the screen. If you're listening via audio, it's Mike underscore Stavrou. That's S-T-A-V-R-O-U. Um, Mike, just finally, while we're waiting for a couple of questions to come mm. in, you said that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was, was probably the best player on the pitch. Um, would you would you stick by that? Is he your man of the match? Because he was the one I thought was the man of the match when I came out of the stadium. And then I've gone back and forth on it about four or five different times. And and now I don't know. I thought you were going to give me an answer. What are you going to you say thinking maybe Tommy Asu or a lot of people saying Tommy Asu? I thought Tommy Asu. Yeah, I thought Tommy Asu. I thought Ramsdale. I thought Odegaard just for the sheer work rate. Um, I thought Thomas Partey at various points. I guess the Aubameyang shout is probably just the right one for me. Um, But what was it that you saw from Aubameyang this time around that really kind of you know made you warm to him after you know months of us talking about him maybe not being the races? Yeah, I think he just he basically just turned up and played to the best of his ability. Like as simple as it is, I, I feel like a lot of the time we don't, we don't see that from a Bamiyang, but for, for whatever reason, the North London derby, he just absolutely loves it. And he tends to, to turn up more often than not. And it was the, you know, the pressing. Yeah. Fair enough. Odegaard was, was the one doing that on the front foot, but, but Bamiyang definitely contributed, um, you know, in the, I, I think it was the second goal, uh, his goal uh, in the build-up, the little flick around the corner to set mm. Smith Rowe free. He's not really done that enough. It like everything just came off essentially. But like even just like out jumping like the likes of Damas and Sanchez for for headers, like you wouldn't on paper say Aubameyang gets to that, but he was there. He was doing it. He was leaping. He just gave it his absolute all, and you were reminded of, of the class of the player. And I remember a few weeks ago we were saying. You know, um, who would you start in the Premier League? I think it was with the Burnley game. Would you say Lacazette or Aubameyang? I don't think it's even a question now. I think Aubameyang starts because just based off that performance there, he's got a few goals this season as well. And all we need is his confidence back because that was one of the areas I was looking at in the summer saying we need a striker, we need a striker. But if we have Aubameyang on song, I don't think we do. 
Yeah, no, completely agree. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's proven that he can do the role and he's proven, just like we said about the team in general earlier on, that there is no rift between him and Mikel Arteta and that he's quite happy mm. uh, to, to carry out his instructions. Let's take some of your questions then for the last five. Um, I want to just quickly address this one from Obote, who says that we may have won the derby, but when will Arteta learn to get his substitutions right? I think this is a really harsh criticism that Mikel always gets kind of, always has thrown in his direction. I thought maybe on Sunday he could have made a change five minutes before he did. And I think maybe if he did that, Spurs might not have pulled the goal back. But that that's me being a hindsight merchant. Um, he then had to make a change when when Xhaka picked up that injury. I thought at Burnley, his substitutions were spot on in terms of helping us see out the game. So I think this is a bit of a harsh criticism. Is that something that you've got an issue with when it comes to Arteta, his substitutions? Nah, I mean, I'm not trying to dig this guy out, but he seems like someone's just trying to get something over on Mikel Arteta for the sake of it because mm. it was a flawless North London derby. Uh, no, I didn't see anything wrong with it. I thought the Tavares sub was quite smart. He... He gave us quite a lot. That guy is another one who's just, you know, will give you absolutely everything. Nuno Tavares, he's, he's a bit raw, but he's what we needed at that time. Uh, no, I didn't see anything wrong with the substitutions at all, no. Completely agree. Uh, let's take this one from Brad, one of our members. He says, uh, out of the new players, who impressed you the most? For me, I would say out of the new players, it was it was Tommy Asu at the weekend. Would you agree with that, Mike? Or have you got someone? I else think I think Ramsdale, just because of what I was saying earlier, because you know he made that big save from Lucas, um, and that that kept the score at three one. Probably wouldn't have changed the game if they got back to three two, but at at the time it was a big save. And as I say, just like the organisation and uh, the the character, the big character he's got, and what he's bringing to the to the dressing room, no doubt. Uh, I think. It's, it's got to be Ramsdale because we spoke about it last time as well. Like, I did not expect him to be starting in the North London derby. I like, and already displacing Leno, it looks like, as number one. I did not expect that whatsoever. And I think a lot of people eating humble pie on Ramsdale at the moment because, you know, he was getting a lot of criticism when, when we did that deal. Yeah, we we did sort of question it at a time, but it never got to the to the place where it's like, you know, we're not going to give him a go. Of course, we're always going to give him a chance. And so far, he's been near flawless. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, let's take this one from Michael Hudson. He says, do you think we can rest and rotate in key positions now? Defence, midfield and attack, Oba for Laka, White for holding, etc., etc." I actually think, Michael, that for me, one of the, the good things about not having European football, if there is any kind of silver lining, is that we don't have to rotate that much and we can at least now try to build some relationships on the pitch. So I'd be... Unless players desperately need it, if you're mostly playing one game a week, I'd be actually quite opposed to rotating a lot. What, what's your take on that, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I I want to just see the team play as a unit and get used to each other and just really rip teams apart. I think you can sort of afford to do that with the, the front, the four positions a little bit more. I think you can rotate that against different opposition. But the back four, I want to see that back four play every game or back five, even if Ramsdale... Um, someone just uh, dropped a comment on Saka. Chris says Saka on the right looks better. And I actually have to agree, like just talking about that sort of rotation, I think he made so much of a difference playing on the right and just gives us so much more than unfortunately what Pepe's not been giving us at the moment. Just that direct play, the sort of, you know, trickery, the ability to go inside, outside, scored as well, set one up. And 
near flawless display from him as well. So that's that's going to be a headache for that one now because do you move Saka off the right now when he's had such a good performance? And but then you leave Pepe on the bench. I don't know. It's going to be a tough one for Mikel now. Well, I thought Pepe performed quite well last season when he got put on the left. So I wouldn't be mm. adverse to doing that and giving that a try. Uh, but listen, it's it's going to be a long old season and there are going to be injuries and they're going to be players that have dips in form and there are plenty of games for all of them to get sufficient game time. So, you know, I've I've read a couple of tweets and, and seen a couple of kind of discussions today where people are saying, well, we probably need to make a decision now on what we do with Nicolas Pepe. But the reality is we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. You know, Bukayo Saka was great at the weekend but he's not going to play like that every single week. Neither is Emil Smith-Rowe. And, and one of the things I've always said, and I, and I stick by this, they delivered on Sunday. But over the course of the season, those two young lads are going to have ups and downs. Mm. And, and I think somebody like Nicolas Pepe still has a massive role to play if we're going to achieve our goals. Uh, I'll just take this question finally, and we'll just uh, get this one uh, done quickly, Mike, so we can uh, wrap up because we are pushed for time. But uh, this one comes from Steve, who says, if Oba can get back to the sort of form he did a couple of seasons ago, can we dream of a CL spot or is it a step too far? I think that it is a step too far. I think there is a clear top four in the Premier League now. And, And so my goal and my ambition for Arsenal is to qualify for the Europa League, finish in the top six and close the gap on that top four rather than necessarily break into it. If we do it, great, but I think it might be a step too far. Your view? Yeah, I mean, I even think that the top six will be a struggle, to be honest. And, you know, I'm absolutely on a high um, off the North London derby, but let's just be realistic. Like, you you saw the start of the season. You saw, you know, three, three losses in a row, right? Two of them were two, probably the two best teams in the league, but Brentford was poor. And I just think... You know, we've seen, unfortunately, to not to bring the tone down, but we've seen this before. We've seen us put in a worldy performance um, under Arteta. We, we saw it against uh, against Chelsea on Boxing Day, and then we saw it away at Old Trafford. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've not followed that up. So now the real test is if we can go and, you know, build up a, a solid run now of, of wins in a row. And, and so we go into like the next big game, which is probably Leicester, in, you know, a world, world of confidence. And then we beat them. And then I'll start to say to you, yeah, I think top six looks realistic, but I still think it'll be a struggle just because that consistency has not been there. Maybe it'll be different now because we don't have the sort of burden of a midweek Europa League game. But for the moment, I'm just sort of taking it week by week. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we we go and, you know, drop points against Brighton because that's (laughs) going to be a tough game. It like it, it plainly they're, they're just a they're they're a really really good team, well coached team, and it's not going to be easy. So I think if people go into that thinking, oh, we steamrolled Spurs and won the North London derby, but like we're going to walk over Brighton now, I think they'll be in for a little bit of a surprise. So let's just sort of keep our heads and and yeah, it's a long season, as you say. Absolutely. Let's keep our feet on the ground. Right. We are going to leave it there. Uh, Mike, thank you so, so much for joining me as always, mate. Uh, Just give people a quick reminder how they can follow you on social media. Yeah. So uh, if you go to Twitter at Mike underscore Stavro, I'm now verified like Harry. So uh, you can you can you can trust me. I've got the tick, the seal of approval. There you go. Good stuff. Right. We'll be back very, very soon with more (laughs) Arsenal related content. Until next time. Take care. Goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.